are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 26. I realize uh, it's right before lunch, amen, so... Uh, you got lunch in your mind, and breakfast was a long, long time ago. That muffin has probably already uh, done its work, and so you're anxious to get moving here to the next meal. And uh, man, it's just exciting. It's just exciting to see, uh, Brother Cooper. I don't mean I don't know how old you are, but man, how old are you, preacher? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. <laughs> Brother Cooper, how old are you? Without Brother Martinez interrupting there over. I'm sorry. Yeah, great. Isn't that amazing, folks? That's wonderful to see. God's hand on young men and, and uh, young men do it. My, my friend Micah McCurry is here. And does the name Paul Levine, does that, yeah. Paul Levine, I remember being at Brother Brown's youth director and taking our teenagers to hear Paul Levine preach to teenagers. In his probably 60s and 70s, he still had the heart of teenagers. Yeah, it was unbelievable. He had a great track ministry, Bible Track Incorporated, and now that's fallen in the lap of Micah McCurry out here, and uh, just, just wonderful to see God just continuing His work uh, as, as older men pass off and go on to heaven. Here comes another young man, and God, God's got ready, and this thing's not over. It's not done. It's, it's, it's got momentum. It's wonderful, and I just appreciate what the Lord is doing. Appreciate just to get to be a part of it. Let's stand together, give you an opportunity to stretch your legs. Matthew chapter 26 is so great to see uh, a lot of men that we don't get to uh, see often throughout the, uh, mostly in the Midwest, and you fellas out here, so it's great to cross paths with you. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the Lord. Chapter 26, beginning with verse number 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. I want to draw your attention to verse number 8 where the disciple and the companion passage in John 12 tells us that it was Judas that asked this question. He asked the question, to what purpose is this waste? So I want to speak for just a little bit on the subject, just keep wasting away. Just keep wasting away. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your work in our hearts. Thank you for this church, this pastor, these staff, these many people who have stood together over these years and allowed you to accomplish something wonderful that is not just a blessing here, but around the world. I think about how many people listen to the radio station and are affected by the ministries of this work. And Lord, we know that it's all of you, that you've used these good people here and this great pastor. Now, Lord, would you please use this message. Thank you for our hearts have already been challenged this morning. And the message last night 
And the message this morning is just a brief period on the subject of pillars. I don't want to do anything to mess up the momentum of the meeting. So fill us with your spirit, both speaker and listener. We trust you to speak to our hearts in Christ's name and amen. Thank you. And be seated. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. I mentioned John chapter 12 being the companion passage from that scripture. We know that there are others there with him. Lazarus was there with the Lord Jesus sitting at the table in fellowship. Martha was there doing what Martha does best, serving food. Mary was there and then she was not there. And then she was there again with a box of very costly and expensive ointment. The Bible says that she broke that alabaster box and she poured it on his head and his feet. Matthew records that she poured it on his head. John records that she poured it on his feet. And the, uh, the, the wrong kind of person will immediately say, aha, a contradiction. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for a contradiction in this book. That's a futile search, okay? You won't find one. Like B.R. Lakin told that fellow one time. He said, that Bible's full of contradictions. And B.R. Lakin said, show me one. He said, well, it's got a bunch of them. He said, I don't need a bunch, just show me one. And the man said, well, I think. And he said, no, you don't, son. You don't think. You don't have a brain. Your neck stubbed over and grew hair. There's no contradictions in the Bible. I'm not looking for any. I get it. Matthew is the gospel that presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. Anytime a coming king was anointed in the Old Testament, they anointed him on his head. When you find people coming to Jesus, the son of God, which John's gospel presents Jesus as the son of God, you find people coming to his feet. The truth of the matter is, she probably poured it on his head while he was sitting there. Some of it dripped on his head and his feet. There's no contradiction in the scripture, so give up your search, all right? All or some of his disciples were there. Judas was there for sure. That's Simon's son, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Christ. Now, you've got one event taking place here in the house, in Bethany. One event. But you've got various people uh, watching that same event. Now, you know, it's not unusual for different people to have various perspectives concerning the same event. It's all to them how they saw it. And I want to talk this morning about three perspectives in this story based on what three different people saw. First of all, I want to talk about it from Judas's perspective. What did Judas see? Well, verse number eight tells us what Judas saw. To what purpose is this waste? Judas saw waste. He said this ointment was valuable. It was worth a lot of money. It could have been sold for much and given to the poor. Judas said this was a waste. In fact, the Bible tells us that he said it with indignation. How in the world could this woman waste this ointment by pouring it on the Lord's head? Judas saw the cost. He saw the price. He saw the expense. That's what Judas saw. That's all he was looking at, the value, the cost the expense, and in his mind, it had been wasted. The ointment was just poured out on a man's head and feet. Now people, the honest truth of the matter is, there are still those like Judas today. Why do you waste your life going to church three times a week? Why do you waste your money on Christian education when you're already paying for public education? Why do you waste your time at the prison working with men and women who have been incarcerated? Why do you waste an hour at the nursing home with people who in some cases don't even know 
you aren't there? Why do you waste your life, four years of your life, at a Bible college to get an unaccredited degree that the world will never recognize? Why do you waste your time listening to kids say Bible verses at King's Kids or Master's Club's program? Why do you waste your time with kids who only ride the bus for what you give them? Why do you waste your life in living holy and dedicated to the Lord? Why do you waste your children's lives keeping them from things in the world and taking them to church over and over again? Why do you waste your career teaching in a Christian school when you could make much more money in other places? Why do you waste 15 to 20 to 25 to 30% of your income giving it to that church? Why do you waste your time knocking on the doors of folks trying to talk to people who don't want you knocking on their doors? Why do you teenagers waste your time at the church when you could be out working at McDonald's making some money? Why do you waste your time preparing a lesson and spending money to teach a class of seven and eight grade boys or seven and eight grade girls on Sunday morning? Why do you waste your time changing diapers of children who are not your own? Why do you take, waste your time hauling your family all over the country in evangelism for offerings that sometimes don't even pay for the gas? Why do you waste your time in life as a missionary taking your family out of your comfort zone and going to a far different culture and people? Why do you waste your life in that small rural town trying to reach them? I could go on and on and on and on, scenario after scenario after scenario. And here's my point, folks. People talk like that. They say you're wasting your time, your money, your children, your life, your family. They real, they, that you realize they have, a, they have a fundamental mental flaw. It is not our time. It is not our life. It is not our money. They're not our kids. It's not our family. All of it belongs to God. Every bit of it. I think probably the most telling illustration about stewardship is found in Job chapter one, where you know Job, he, he, you know, Satan comes before the Lord and the Lord uh, uh, commends Job uh, uh, to the devil and he says, hast thou considered my servant Job and says those wonderful things about him and Satan accuses him and says, well, the re only reason he serves you is because you've blessed him and given him all that and put these hedges of protection around him. Understand, brethren, what the Lord said to Satan? Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. God put everything Job had in Satan's hand. Everything. His sheep, his donkey, his cattle, his camels, his children. You know what? If God could take everything Job had and put it in the power of Satan's hand. Do you know what that means? Job never owned it to begin with. It belonged to God. It was his. Those were his camels. Those were his donkeys. Those were his sheep. They were his oxen. They were his kids. Job was his. Job's life was his. His family was his. Everything we call our own is not ours. It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And because it belongs to God, we don't want to waste any of it. 
not a bit of it. And I'm sure that I'm talking to people this morning who have extended family members who've made comments like that to you. They have no idea. They have no clue. They don't understand it. You waste, and you're wasting your time, your money, your life, your children, your family, your career. Co-workers talk like that. People in the neighborhood talk like that. But there always will be people like Judas who, who have that perspective. To them, it's all about waste, wasting time, wasting money, wasting effort, wasting your family. You can't let people like that discourage you. I've had the privilege going several times to the uh, Barrie, Ontario, Canada. I believe the Heritage Baptist Church. Dr. Leroy Pennell was there for years and years. Had a great church in Canada. Great church. Turned it over to his son, Brent. He's doing a wonderful job up there. And I've been at youth conferences there and the church conferences. And I think I was at the second youth conference there. And I noticed this young man and he was involved in everything. He was leading the singing. He was in special music. He was in the skits. He's just one of those guys that kind of stood out as just being involved in everything. And I'm just watching, you know, trying to observe and, and just to take in everything I can. And I'm standing down uh, at the bottom of the steps there in the auditorium with Pastor Brent, uh, after Pastor Brent, after the uh, service was over. And I heard a vacuum. And I looked over in the corner of the auditorium and there was that same young man. And finally, curiosity got the best of me. And I said, Brother Pennell, I said, I've seen that young man leading singing. I've seen that young man involved in special music. That young man has been in skits. He's all over this youth conference. Who is he? He said, Brother Terry, he said his name is Eric. He said he came to us, he got saved. He's the only one in his family who, who was saved. He said he went to an engineering school. And forgive me, I don't, I don't remember which engineering, what kind of engineering it was. But he got an engineering degree. And he said when he graduated college, he had four offers from four of the leading companies in the, the nation of Canada. Four of them on the table, ready to be signed, ready to go to work, making an unbelievable amount of money. He made an appointment with my dad. This is Brett talking. He made an appointment with my dad and he came in and he said, Brother Pennell, I've got my engineering degree and I've got these four offers and they're all great companies and I can make a lot of money. But I was thinking, you know, we have a Christian school. I know upper level math. I know upper level science. I can teach chemistry and I can teach physics and I can teach trigonometry and I can teach advanced math and I can teach calculus. And I was just wondering if you would have an opportunity for me to teach here in the Christian school. And Brother Pendle said, Eric, I would love to have you teach in our school, son, but I can't pay you near enough money to hardly to make a living as, he was not married at that time, as a single adult man, you'd have to have a second job to supplement what I could pay you. And uh, Eric said, well, like what? What could I do? And Brother Pendle said, well, I, he said, I don't want to go out and work at McDonald's, a place like that. Brother Pendle, he said, what can I do? Brother Pendle said, well, he said, he said you, could, you could be the part-time janitor. And he said, I'll take it. And the truth of the matter is, I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful example. And his, his family was giving him all kinds of grief wasting this, wasting that four years of engineering school. I'm not saying, folks, it's God's will for everybody to go work in full-time ministry with an engineering degree. I'm just saying this. It's not our time. It's not our life. It's not our money. It's not our family. It's not anything. It all, belo all belongs to Him. There will always be somebody who sees it as waste. Always. 
You can't let that discourage you. That's what Judas saw. Number two, I want to point out a little bit this morning about what Jesus saw. What Jesus saw. Now look what he said at the end of verse number 10. He said, boy, I love what he did here. Why trouble ye the woman? Amen. Don't you like that? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. Verse 11, for ye have the poor always with you, but me. You have not always. Verse 12, for in that she hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Do you know what Jesus saw, brethren? Jesus saw something entirely different than what Judas saw. Jesus used the pronouns me, me, my, my. Jesus saw motive. He saw motive. He saw something that nobody else could see. And he said, this woman, what she did, she did for me. That's what Jesus saw a few days earlier. Lazarus was dead in the tomb. Had been four days dead. By this time stinketh, his sister said. And Jesus came and raised him from the dead. And now Mary is in that house and here is her brother who was at one time dead four days in the tomb. He's fellowshipping, he's eating. Maybe they're laughing together, having some fun, enjoying fellowship. Her heart is filled with gratitude because of what Jesus had done for her family, her brother. But something else is in her heart as well. She also knows where Jesus is going. She's heard him talk about going to the cross. She's heard him talk about being buried. She's heard him talk about the resurrection. And so in appreciation for what Jesus had done for her family and in appreciation for what he was going to do, she ran and got that little box of ointment broke it and poured it over his head and his feet. And Judas said, what a waste. And Jesus spoke up and said, leave her alone. Why trouble you the woman? John's gospel said, he said, leave her alone. She has done this for me. And brethren, can I hopefully let the word of God encourage all of us this morning. This is something that nobody but Jesus can see. He sees our motive. And I know we get accused a lot of times uh, for, or maybe sometimes for doing this for this reason or this for that reason. But I want to serve notice this morning. I'm convinced that a lot of God's people do what they do because they love Jesus Christ. They love the Lord. You men, you preach because you love Jesus. And you soul winners knock doors because you love Jesus. And you teachers teach because you love Jesus. And you assistants help because you love Jesus. And there's nursery workers, baby. You do what you do because you love Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, church, he never misses your motive. Never misses it. Never misses it. Nope. That's what people don't see. As a result, they are convinced that you and I are wasting time, money, lives in service to Christ. To those of you who have family and friends and coworkers who think you are wasting your time, your lives, your, your, your money, your family, listen, let me tell you, your motives cannot be seen by them, but the Lord Jesus Christ never misses one thing. Hebrews chapter six, verse 10 says, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. None of us, who among us can stand up this morning and say that we love Jesus like we ought to? Who? 
I can't. Why? Sometimes I just. (laughs) But by his grace, to some degree, I can stand here this morning and say, I do love the Lord Jesus Christ. I may not live up to loving him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my might, but much of what I do, I do because I love him and you do the same. And I'm gonna tell you something, he never misses it. Never misses it. Never misses what you do in the name of Jesus Christ. So you know what we ought to do, folks? Just serve on and honor on and sacrifice on and love on and preach and sing and teach and change diapers and clean the property and shake hands and make meals and work on projects and read and pray and love your wife and obey your husband and teach your kids and obey your parents and just do it because you love Jesus. Nobody else may recognize it, but he never misses what's done for him. What Judas saw, he saw waste. What Jesus saw, he saw motive. I want to finish by talking a little bit about what Mary saw. What did Mary see? Well, verse number seven, we're just told that there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Here's Mary in the house. Here's Jesus at the table. This is a real moment in time. Would they be in that same moment in time three hours from now? Would they be in that same moment in time next week? Would they be in that same moment in time in three weeks? Here was a real moment in time. And she seized the opportunity to do something for Jesus. Now here's what I do not believe took place in Mary's thinking. I do not believe that Mary went to where the alabaster box was, thinking to herself, I'm gonna take this ointment, I'm gonna break it and anoint the body of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus is going to tell everybody in the house what this woman hath done for me is gonna be told of her for a memorial wherever the gospel is preached. I don't think she ever had that thought, Brother Jerry. I don't think she thought that one time. All she thought, here is a real time moment for me to do something in the name of Jesus Christ. All she did was seize the opportunity. It was was Christ who decided on the return. And what a return on that one opportunity seized. Here we are, March the 3rd, 2020, 2,000 years later, still talking about what this woman did on that day. And I'll promise you, friend, I believe what he said. I believe that as much as I believe I'm standing here. I believe wherever there's a missionary who's gone with the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever there's been a national in other countries stand with the Bible and preach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe what this woman did in that real moment of time has been spoken of again and again and again. 
What a return on the investment in one real-time opportunity. And church, preachers, folks, we are given real-time opportunities to do something in the name of Jesus Christ. Look, don't worry about the return. Jesus will take care of that. You know, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Boston and stand at the spot. They say it's the spot where Ed Kimball walked on the sidewalk trying to work up enough courage to go in and talk to an 18-year-old boy about Christ. I don't think Ed Kimball (laughs) was thinking to himself, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get this young 18-year-old man to come out here and he's going to get saved. And then he's going to take two continents America and England, and bring them closer to God. And he's going to start a wonderful church in Chicago and take horse-drawn wagons around and pick up poor little boys and girls and bring them to Christ and teach them about, the, bring them to church and teach them about Christ. And he's going to start a great conference and convention center up in Northfield, Massachusetts. I don't think Ed Kimball saw all that. You know what he saw? He saw a real moment in time to do what any good Sunday school teacher would do. Just go follow up on a young man who'd been in his Sunday school class. He never thought about that. All he thought about was, I want to try to reach this young man for Jesus. Look at the return on that investment. It's incredible. Or how about Daisy Hawes? who was in that Sunday school class in that little white clapboard church outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And a bunch of teenage boys in the class or some teenage boys in the class kind of, as I understand the story, messing around and she had to kind of correct them and and didn't know if they'd come back. And the next Sunday, one of those young men came back and she took an interest in him and began, I don't know all the details, but began to talk to him and eventually was the one that led him to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe. And I don't believe that Daisy Hawes, before she talked to Lee about salvation, thought to herself, I'm going to win this young man to Christ. He's going to be called to preach. He's going to pastor a couple of small churches. And then he's going to move to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he's going to take Highland Park Baptist Church and build it to over 10,000 and have a school and send missionaries and preachers all over the world and Camp Joy and John Bishop and how many other ministries that came out of Lee Robertson's ministry. I don't think Daisy Hawes saw all that. She saw a moment in time to make an investment in an opportunity to do something for Jesus Christ and God decided on the return. I had the privilege last year of preaching in Lebanon, Missouri last fall for Pastor Donnie Ball. That great church has that ministry to Fort Leonard Wood. Takes buses after the Sunday morning service and Takes them over there, about an hour drive, if I recall, 
They load up uh, soldiers there who are going through the program, and they're only allowed one weekend at a time off base. And, and they'll bring us an amazing. Sometimes they'll have 300. Sometimes they'll have 100. Sometimes they'll have 50. Sometimes more than that, depending on what's going on in the base. And I got to preach to 92 soldiers. 60 hands, 60 heads went up. 60 came forward in the invitation. 48 were, were uh, witnessed to about the Lord. 48 trusted Christ as their Savior. I got to talking to Brother Ball about it. They've been doing that every Sunday since 1971. How did this start? A 15-year-old boy. Hey, you guys listening? You, you, you teenagers, are you listening? A 15 year old boy whose daddy had been in the military and could still get on, on the, the, the commissary or base and they went there on a Saturday in 1971 and, and the 15 year old boy said look at all these soldiers and they got passed this weekend and they're going to motels and bars and, and, and all kind of licentiousness and immorality and drunk. Dad isn't there something we could Fifteen. Well, son, we'll talk to pastor about it. And they took a bus there and picked up six soldiers. And from there, it just started growing and growing. They've had as many as 900 soldiers in evening services. Hal Hightower was there for years and years. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of soldier boys saved. Some of them now out of the military and serving in independent Baptist churches. I don't think that 15 year old boy ever saw this many years of that. I thought he just, I think he just saw a moment in real time where he could do something for Jesus Christ and look at the return on that investment. I was walking through a parking lot one day going to make a visit on a Saturday on a second floor apartment. Here was a young man bent over a pickup truck. Hood was raised. It was uh, broken down. It was his Ford. How do you know it was a Ford? Well, it was broken down. Amen. So he's got grease up to his elbows and and I realized, you know, he's not going to stop and talk to me. So I just took the gospel track out and put it on the engine block said, hey, friend, listen, there's a little paper to tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven someday. Hope you find, find some time to read it. Thank you, sir. I went on and made the visit, came back through the parking lot, said, hey, God bless you, buddy. He said, yes, sir. That was Saturday, Sunday evening. Brother Gray, I was back there in that, the gymnasium that had, turned into a, that had been turned into a church, and it was back to a gymnasium in that little back area. And brother, the, the pastor's office was there then and uh, had, a, had a window and a, an exter- exterior door and and uh, I was getting ready for the Sunday evening service, and I heard, the, heard a truck pull up, uh, a vehicle, and I looked, and I saw somebody get out, and he came, I said, come in. And he came in, and he stuck his head in like this, and he's got this. Yes, sir, you're, you're the one that gave me this yesterday, right? I said, yeah, you're working on your truck. He said, yes, sir, I read this last night. He said, I, I really would like to talk to you more about this. And Jimmy Biggs got saved. And his wife, Missy, got saved. And his brother, Stan, got saved. And Stan's wife got saved. And they all got baptized. And the kids got saved. And they stayed in their church till they moved away. I never saw all that when I stopped to give that guy a gospel tract. 
What did, I, what did you see, Brother Terry? I saw a moment in time, a real time moment to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the return on that investment. You say, well, I just don't have. No, you, you don't know yet. This thing's not over. You may not know until you get to heaven. What God has done with just real time opportunities. Just because you and I can't see the return on it doesn't mean we should just hang it up. <laughs> I, was, I was invited to preach at a youth uh, camp one time and it was a great camp and it, man, it served a lot of independent Baptist churches but you bear with me. I think you preachers will understand. It just wasn't, it wasn't my, my, my comfort zone, my crowd, okay? It was great people, great people. They were wonderful people. But I just hadn't run in that circle. And so it was a little bit strange. And, you know, we went to the church on a Wednesday night. The camp, the congregation was there. Man, I preached this message. And when I gave the invitation, one person came to the altar. It was the pastor. And I think the only reason he came was because he felt sorry for me at the close of that message. I thought, oh my goodness, what a mess. This is horrible. Thursday was the last day. I had two of my daughters with me. I said, hey, you pack the bags Thursday afternoon. I'm going to preach tonight. Give the invitation. When the invitation settles, we're going to hit the road. We're headed home. I wanted to get home so bad. I thought, my goodness, I want to just put that behind me. It was a colossal flop. Like Brother Brown used to say, laid an egg big enough to hatch twin dinosaurs. I don't know. I'm not kidding now. I'm not embellishing years past. Not one, not two, not three, maybe four or five. I'm going to go down and preach in central Illinois at a youth rally, and I get an, uh, a letter in the mail about four days before that from a man who's an assistant pastor down in southern Illinois, Brother Terry. I'm so excited about coming over to hear you preach, and I'm bringing our young people to hear you preach. I've told them a lot about you, and I was called to preach when you preached at such and such camp, such and such church uh, on a Wednesday night. And I thought, you're kidding. Huh. And then sometime later, evangelist Chris Dallas came through, and I was just getting to know Brother Dallas we were trying to just, you know, fill each other out as far as where we'd been, what we'd done, who we knew, and mutual friends. And he said, well, you know, you, you know some people that I know, my home church down in North Carolina. I said, uh, like who? And he, said, he called a brother's name. He said, he's the bus director there, youth director, assistant pastor. I said, I'm not sure I know him. He said, well, he was called to preach under your preaching. It was at such and such a camp, such and such church, such and such service on a Wednesday night. Fellas, we all want results, come on. We preach to bring people to a point of decision. But I appreciate what the brother said, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. That's real. That's reality. And we don't do what we do just for the result that you and I can see. We do what we do because we love Christ. We want to honor his word. We take a real time moment and seize it and make, hopefully do something and let the Lord decide what he wants to do with it. And so many of you could stand up here. Illustrations are coming to your mind right now. You seize the moment in time. There's an old electrician 
out in Philly, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Marcus and Kate lived in a two-flat, electrician, had 11 kids, seven boys, four girls. Marcus was a lost Catholic, cussing, not church attending. His brother Keith got saved. As best as I know the story, Keith tried to approach his brother Marcus and his wife Kate, sit down and talk with them about Christ. He was kind of held at arm's length. Some time passed. Marcus and Kate, I don't know if they were having trouble in their marriage or what all was going on, I'm not sure, but I believe it was Kate, the wife, who knocked on Keith's door or called Keith and said, look, we really need you to come over and sit down and talk with us. And so Keith went over and sat down with Marcus and Kate. And won them to Christ. I don't think when Keith won Marcus to Christ that he knew four of those boys would become preachers. One boy works for Pastor Mark O'Donnell out in Akron, Ohio. One boy is Brother Gomez's co-pastor. One boy pastors outside of Philly, the church that he grew up in. One of those boys is married to my daughter. And they're serving now for Brother Sexton in Walls, Mississippi, the Bethel Baptist Church. I got a little grandson named Marcus Terry and two others. One of those girls is married to a preacher. I don't think Keith saw all that, Pastor. I don't think he saw that. I think what he saw was my brother's lost. Here's an opportunity for me to talk to Marcus about Christ. He sees the opportunity. And look at the return on the investment. Fellas, look, I, I get it. I get it. You check the numbers. I look at the numbers. I don't, I don't look at them as diligently as, as I suppose I should. I hope I'm not on thin ice here. Success is not always wrapped up in numbers. You've got to grow to maintain. In this day and age, you've got to grow to maintain. Why don't we look? There's always going to be Judas's that say you're wasting. But it's not our life. It's not our time. It's not our money. They're not our kids. It's not our family. It's all his. And he never misses anything done in his name. If all you do is stand at that door back there and shake hands on Sunday in the name of Jesus, he never misses it. And someday when we get to heaven, we may learn for the first time what the return was when we took a simple opportunity to do something for Christ. Let's stand together, our heads about. So it's Brother Ray. It's been, what, 40-something years now since Bible college. I know what I've decided. I think I'll just keep wasting away.
I think I'll just keep wasting away for the cause of Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege to preach anywhere, but especially in this meeting to such wonderful folk and great preachers from all over the United States. Thank you for letting us serve you. Thank you for letting us live for you and serve you. And Lord, help us not to miss the real-time moments where we can make an investment for the name of Christ. So encourage our hearts today. I pray that there'll be a lot of men that will, and women that will decide, I'm going to go back to my city and just keep wasting away. Just keep serving the Lord, no matter what the Judases say and let God take care of the results. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.